Good morning, everyone. Nice to be dry, isn't it? Yeah, we, yesterday as we were talking, it's like, what do we do? And the more we looked at the weather reports, it's 60 to 70 percent chance of rain when we were going to be meeting. So let's meet in the building and be safe. And I'm glad we did. Plus, we got the bonus of air conditioning. So it's all good. The Lord's good all the time, right? Thankful that he brought the team home. Justin, you don't look tired at all. <laughs> we'll hear reports on that, I'm sure, in the future. That God's been good to us this week. And uh, our pastor, John, being married yesterday, I mean, that's just such an answer to prayer to see. And two families who have experienced huge loss uh, coming together. And it's a beautiful thing. John told me uh, they had the kids stand, no best man, no maid of honor, the kids. So he had five boys and five girls. Uh, those were the maid of honor and the best men. And uh, they're the ones that gave mom away in marriage. You know, it was a, a sweet wedding. So that's, that's really cool. We have a lot to be thankful for. Let's uh, begin our time with a prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that we can gather uh, together as your people and worship you, sing praises to your name. So much to thank you for, Lord. Thank you for bringing our team home safe. And, uh, Lord, we long to, uh, look forward to hearing reports of that. Lord, most of all, as we uh, take a few moments now to look into your word, I pray that uh, you would instruct us as we look at what you have for us in this book of wisdom. Lord, we do cry for wisdom. It's a very confusing world. And the writer to the Proverbs says, get wisdom above all things. And so, Lord, help us. As we look at what you have for us today, I pray for open ears and willing hearts. Pray that you would speak the word through us, through me today, Lord, and, and uh, be glorified most of all in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so today, uh, as we are in our journey, Anatomy of Wisdom, if I'd have known earlier than yesterday afternoon that we were going to be here, I'd have some PowerPoint slides. I don't, so we'll go without that. But the anatomy of wisdom, and we've looked at various aspects of the anatomy. My subject today, or my task, is the hands. The Proverbs address our hands. Interestingly, as I looked, in most cases when it addresses the hands, it's a contrast, and this is, a, this is the word that the writer of Proverbs uses, it's between the diligent and the sluggard. How you like that word? There's a Bible word for you. But I, I looked, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in the New American Standard, so maybe the ESV uses a different word. Nope, sluggard's still there. You go to King James, well, sluggard's still there. NIV, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just, that's what it is. And the writer, remember, is a father who wants to encourage his son. Son, hear me. A month ago we talked about hearing. Learn wisdom and the wisdom of being industrious and uh, uh, being somebody who's diligent. And so hands, hands are an interesting thing. Um, we work with our hands. I came across a writer, uh, one of the ancient writers. He who works with his hands is a laborer, and that's true. And uh, sometimes today we kind of put down labor. But when you go through your fast food line or when you need help in your home, you need a plumber or whatever it is you need, you're actually kind of thankful for labor because that's how things get done. So he who works with his hand is a laborer. He who works with his hands and his head is a craftsman. Know any craftsmen? Skilled uh, with their hands. 
uh, in doing and, and creating and making things. So that he who works with his hands and his head is a craftsman. He who works with his hands and his head and his heart is an artist. Now, I worked uh, for 45 years on the floor with different tool makers, and some of those guys were incredible with tool steel, what they could do. Uh, and, and you look, and, and we, we had guys who were, they were, uh, they were labor. They were there to help. They were good men. They worked hard, and they knew, and we knew that that's what they were going to do is be labor and help. And they, and they earned a good living doing it, and they were respected for it. But then you had, you had tool makers who would excel, and you could see the craftsmanship when they're fitting steel to steel, and a half thousandth of an inch is too big a gap, or the plastic will flash. And so it's got to be steel to steel, and it's just incredible skill to fit that. And, and you'd see a tool when it's done, it's like, that's incredible. That's a craftsman. But then that little bit extra that the man who actually put his heart into that tool, when you get all done, it's like, that's a piece of jewelry. And it goes out the door and it runs and it's incredible. But the, the difference of our motivations when we work with our hands, because it's with the hands that a man or a woman works, all of us, we work with our hands. Even those of us whose jobs may be mainly a thinking role, you're still using your hands. It's through our hands that we work. We, we point with our hands. Not polite to point, we tell our kids. But, but we do. We direct with our hands, right? You direct traffic, you do it with your hands. Uh, we say that hands are sensitive. We say that hands are healing hands. Tender hands, soft hands, or hard and calloused hands. Sometimes when you meet uh, people, particularly guys, sometimes you can get a clue of the kind of work they do in general by their hands. You meet a guy who does nothing but concrete work, and it's like shaking hands with a pineapple. I mean, it just, you know, it's hard, it's calloused, and it's rough because he's in the water and he's in the dirt all the time, and it just, the hands get hard. It's just how it goes. Um, so we have a lot of uh, euphemisms with hands. We can talk about hand-to-hand. If you're a, a military guy and uh, you're in combat and the fighting goes hand-to-hand, that's up close and personal now. Um, hand to hand, but then how about holding hands? I've been holding my sweetheart's hand for over 50 years now. It gets sweeter every time. So holding hands. Then there's shaking hands. We do that to greet one another. Uh, we speak of doing a handoff. You know, you started a project, then you handed it off to somebody else. But then we might say, whoa, hands off. We speak of, uh, we use the hand as a unit of measure. Uh, approximately four inches. That's how they measure horses, so many hands tall. Talk to Mike Lockard or Gene, and they could tell you more. Gene would probably be the one, eh, Mike? But about that, if you, you know, but that's how they measure horses, so many hands tall. And uh, uh, there's the hands of a clock. When the big hand's on the 12 and the little hand's on the 3, if you're totally analog, you still might not know that, but that's 3 o'clock. But that's how we used to do it, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in an analog clock. Uh, then I, uh, when I need help, I may say, okay, can you give me a hand with this? Or we, uh, we play card games and we're dealt a hand. But then we take that euphemism and we make another euphemism out of it. When somebody is going through a particularly tough time, we may say, boy, they've been dealt a tough hand. Interesting, Hands. Then dealt a tough hand. Then we're part of a group or a crew, for instance, a farm hand. Or in a machine shop, we'll have drill hands, mill hands, grinder hands, denoting kind of a main task that a person has. 
Then there's all hands on deck, where we mean everybody show up and be ready to work. But if you push that back, that's a naval uh, phrase. And all hands on deck, particularly in the days of sail, when the ships came in and fired their last broadside and come up right next to each other, sometimes lashed the ships together to board the other guy and take his ship, all hands on deck to defend the ship. Then uh, we might say, I have, we use it as a source of knowledge. I have firsthand knowledge of our last elder meeting, and Phil wasn't there. Of course, he's on sabbatical, you know, so everybody else was there. We didn't expect him to be there. So that's firsthand knowledge. Now you have secondhand knowledge of the fact that Phil was not there at our last elders meeting because he wasn't supposed to be. But that's we use it as a uh, to way of describing our knowledge. And then the last one I'll throw out is handmade. We'll talk about objects. And uh, sometimes we may say, uh, boy, so-and-so made some handmade furniture. Well, Probably not. Probably use some machines, right? I've got table saws and joiners and all that kind of stuff, and you can make stuff. But that's really machine-made. Handmade, you start with a cross-cut and an axe. You split by hand. You might use a pit saw, and then you hand-plane and you do everything by hand. That's handmade. <laughs> but I, I'm saying euphemisms for the hands. Scripture mentions hands in several ways. I'll give us two examples to get us thinking about this. This is one we don't often think of. Uh, because it's not as clear in our modern translations, Numbers 15, 30 to 31, the person who does anything defiantly, whether he is native or an alien, that one is blaspheming the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt will be on him. Where are hands in that? That phrase there, the person who does anything defiantly, that word defiantly, actually refers to the hand raised in, in rebellion. It's, I know what you said, God, I'm not going to do it. And the theologians refer to that as a sin of the high hand. Uh, it doesn't come through uh, in our English translation as clearly, but that's literally what it's talking about. The sin of the high hand, the in-your-face God, and then it, the text goes right on. Uh, that's uh, Numbers 15, 30 to 31. The text goes right on. It gives an example of a, a, a man who's collecting firewood on the Sabbath. They place him under arrest. They take him to Moses. What do we do with this guy? And Moses goes and inquires of the Lord, and the Lord says, take him out and stone him. That person shall be completely cut off. That's a euphemism. That person will be put to death under the Old Testament law. The sin of the high hand, that I can defy the living God. Then Paul, uh, maybe in a more encouraging way, therefore, First uh, Timothy 2.8, I want the men in every pr- place to pray, lifting up holy hands, Without wrath and dissension, this idea less about the lifting of hands, though nothing wrong with that, more about the purity of the hands. Lifting up a pure hand uh, without wrath or dissension. In other words, one who uh, values, uh, places a high value on peace and unity. I want men everywhere to pray in, in holiness and value the peace and unity of the body. That's what Paul is saying. Hands. Diligent hands is our title for today. And I wanted, uh, we are going to look at some Proverbs, I promise. Um, 
I told my wife, this is one of the hardest ones because the, the Proverbs, this thing of talking about sluggards, who likes to be a sluggard or to, or to be labeled? In a, and, uh, but, but it is in the Bible and it is, it is in Proverbs. And uh, we're going to look at some of those Proverbs. But before we get there, I wanted to do a brief theology of vocation or brief theology of work so we can think a little bit uh, before we get there of our work and why we work. Uh, who we are. And so our reading for this week leading up to today were passages in Genesis. And so let me just read these and uh, uh, help us to frame this. And so uh, in Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed the man of the dust of ground, breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and the man became a living being. The creation of man. God ordained, God created from the dirt. Dirt, breath of God, man. Remove the breath of God, you got dirt. Then, Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. So now the man created by God is put in the garden to work. He's there to cultivate and keep the garden. That's what he's there to do. Uh, remember, sin hasn't entered the world yet. That's chapter 2, if we back up to chapter 1, because chapter 2, to a large degree, chapter 2 of Genesis is a a recapitulation in some ways of chapter 1, and it expands the story. So, But if we back up to chapter 1, God created man in his own image. In In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over everything that lives on the earth. The creation mandate, go, multiply, fill the earth, develop it, subdue it, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea. That's where you get culture. That's where you get technology. It's all right there. The initial or the the original purpose for men and women is to go and to work and to labor, to image their creator. But then sin entered the world. And we don't know, you know, how many, how long after the creation moment of mankind when sin entered the world, but sin entered the world. Adam and Eve sinned, chapter 3 of Genesis then. After uh, bringing judgment on the serpent... And on the woman, then the Lord turns to Adam. Genesis three seventeen to 19 Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of the, about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Now listen to this. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. Notice now the earth itself is going to fight against you, and your work is going to be toil continually. You ever notice you put that fresh coat of paint on something and almost before it's dry, it's already decaying? I mean, this earth is fighting against you at every turn. The point, one of the points I want to make, though, work is not the curse. Work was before the curse. 
Work is part of how we image God because God spent four, six days working to create all that is. And on the seventh, he rested. And so we image God in our work. But the, the earth is going to fight against you. And then not only that, because we are under the curse, we're going to fight each other. So then in our work, we compete for sales or we compete for uh, positions, promotions or whatever. And then that degenerates into undercutting and backstabbing and other things because we're under the curse and we're sinners and we do sinful stuff. And so the earth and people fight against each other. Then, in all of this, there's the issue of labor and management when you get to our day. And sometimes we can feel like uh, all too often management leads as if labor is merely a commodity that can be thrown away at will. We can feel that way at times, especially in a, in a corporate world that, that we experience. And on the other hand, labor can fall into a position where they feel like I'm entitled to something because I'm here. And I get a cut too. All of us, labor and management, can start to think that if my work situation isn't just so, and I feel underpaid or I feel underappreciated, then somehow I'm entitled to put in less effort or do lower quality work because, you know, I'm not appreciated here. And we forget. This is uh, Paul in Ephesians 6, 5 to 8. Ephesians 6, 5 to 8. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. I will stop for a second. You are not literally a slave to your boss, though you may feel like it on occasion. <laughs> this, uh, this was truly slave, slavery, where a person is owned by another. Here we don't have that. Nonetheless, the principle holds. Uh, be obedient to those who are your masters in the flesh, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Now there, we are not slaves to uh, uh, another human uh, owner. But literally, if we belong to Christ, we are slaves of Christ. Dulo, slave, we serve him. But as slaves to Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. It doesn't say doing the will of God when I'm paid well, when I feel appreciated, you know, when I've got just the right amount of work, whatever. Doing the will of God from the heart with good will. Render service as to the Lord and not to men. Who am I working for? I work for the Lord. Happens to be so-and-so's name is on the door. Oh, and he's the conduit that I get paid through, so maybe the company name or some president signed the check. I know a direct deposit today, different world, but you get the point. Um, but actually, my employer does not pay me a dime. My, my paycheck comes from the Lord God. Happens to be my employer is the conduit. That's how I receive my paycheck. But it's God who pays me. And so with goodwill, render service adds to the Lord, not to men. Look at knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. It comes down to why I do what I do. 
Uh, the principles hold in everything I do. So it's not, uh, we don't have time to develop this brief theology of vocation further. But the thing I want us to see, work was, came from before the fall. It's not the curse. Some days you can feel like it, <laughs> especially the drudgeries. Every job has its drudgeries, and some jobs are filled with them. But the work is not the curse. The fall is the curse. I work as unto Christ because, in fact, that's who I work for. And then He is my paymaster, if you will. And it changes, it should change the way that we work and the why that we work. Excuse me, I'm coming off of a cold. I communicated with Andy a couple days ago. I like, I hope you're ready to fill in for me someday just in case. I mean, that's, that's where I was at, and so I'm thankful to be here. But if I gag a little bit, it's, <clears throat> I'm finishing up a cold, okay? <clears throat> so, one other thing. When these Proverbs were written, this was an agrarian society. It was agriculture. And if you are going to live... You are going to work. If you're going to eat, you're going to work. If you're not working, you're not going to eat. It was, agrar- it was agrarian and it was military. That was your world, everybody. And it was only the few elites, the king, maybe a few other elite people that were wealthy enough that they could have other people doing work for them so they could actually have some leisure time. That's not our world. Today we have labor-saving devices. And, uh, we, we, you know, I, I want more heat. I go over to the thermostat and I go, Bump, okay, I got more heat or less or whatever the case may be. We heat our hunting cabin with firewood. And uh, we, if we want heat when we go up there, you're going to have to go up there. You're going to have to cut that wood. You're going to have to haul that wood. You're going to have to split that wood. You're going to stack it in the woodshed, let it dry for six months to a year. Then you're going to haul it into the cabin. Then you're going to haul it into the stove. Then you're going to haul the ashes out and put them outdoors. That's how you're going to have heat. Oh, and I get to use a chainsaw. And if we have a lot of wood, we might use a hydraulic splitter, so I'm still cheating. You get the point. We have so many labor-saving devices in our world today. We have no clue what it is to work to survive. Not like this. In general. These are general statements. So as a result, it's too easy for us to fall into the habit of working less than we should because we love our leisure. We're a society of leisure. Uh, we're, we're inundated with entertainment and with leisure, and yet, as we tried to demonstrate, we literally are made to work. That's what the Lord made us for. And then enjoy the good things. I've, I've included here, uh, as a reminder to myself, so, I, so that there's balance to this, because the Lord is good all the time. Uh, there's a resource I would commend to you. We have a friend, North Park does, Mike Whitmer, uh, a wonderful man, and he's preached here a number of times. He's pastor now up at Cedar Springs Baptist. But one of Mike's books, Becoming Worldly Saints, Can You Serve Jesus and Still Enjoy Your Life? I would, that, well worth reading. You wonder sometimes, you know, about, um, balance in your life and, and, and I need to do more for Jesus and, and can I take time off and is it, is God okay if I rest? And Mike struggles hard in that book to help us to understand that, no, actually we need to rest and part of the way that we glorify God is even in our rest. And so don't hear a diatribe against leisure and rest. I'm saying though in our culture we're inundated with leisure and with, uh, uh, rest and entertainment. And that's the one thing that we don't need more of. 
So there are a lot of caveats, and we can't list them all, but there's one more that I did want to mention. When we're talking about the industrious as compared to the sluggard, when we're talking about that, we're talking about those who are capable of being industrious. Not everybody. Our capacities are different. Some are incapacitated. Uh, and, and, and the Lord understands that, and we're not talking about that, we're, but the person who cannot work should never be grouped with those who will not work. There's, an, there's a complete difference. And so don't, don't hear that. And remember, multiple caveats, maybe you could list several um, as we go along. So here's a proverb for us. Proverbs 24, 30 to 34. I passed by the field of the sluggard and the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with, th- with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. This broken down wall, the uh, vineyard that uh, the, the walls are broken down and it's overgrown with thistles and nettles and it's obviously decrepit, not being cared for. You'll see this often, uh, all too often, it seems like, but businesses where maybe mom and dad start a business and man, they work hard and that business grows and, and it's and people, it's like, man, that place is awesome. The service is good. Uh, their, their place is clean. It's neat. The customer care is awesome and maybe the the second generation they grow up in that because that's what mom and dad are about and so eventually they take it over and things just continue to flourish and to go and by the time you get to about the third generation it's like man you know the grounds are looking a little rough they used place used to be spotless but it's not anymore and it starts to look a little run down and man the customer service isn't what it used to be you know you go in there now and you just get attitude where it used to be how can i help you there's that this here because you find out that what grandma and grandpa did or what mom and dad did it was a ton of work the benefits looked awesome but then you realize how much work it took i don't want to do that work i just want the benefits of that work and so uh, the, this, this proverb says, When I saw, I reflected upon it, and I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then your poverty will come as a robber. And how many places of business you drive by are closed down, and you can see the decline coming, because the hardest thing in the world is to pass something like that off to the next generation successfully, because the vision and the labor just isn't there. That's what that proverb is talking about. And it, it has extension even for, for all of us in the things that we acquire. Kath and I just this last winter were talking to a young couple, been married maybe eight years, lived in an apartment for several years and a year ago bought a house. You know how much work it is to own a house? Well, he's lived in an apartment, see, for seven years. Somebody else cuts the grass. Somebody else shovels the snow. Uh, when the faucet leaks, I call maintenance. You know, whatever. And all of a sudden, I, I'm living in this house. Now everything falls on me. Well, yeah, yeah, I have a good idea what it takes to care for a house. Um, and, and, and in other words, we should have our eyes open. Every time you buy something, you're making a commitment as a steward to take care of it. So I can, I can buy things and let it go decrepit, or as a steward, I can take care of it. But it's going to take work. Think of the work commitment you make every time you buy something. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'd like that. I just don't want to do what it takes to take care of it. You know how many guys I've worked with who had busted snowmobiles in their garage? 
You know that, man, that'd be great. I'd love the snowmobile. And you go out there, but if you ride them hard, they break just about every week. Just how it is. You know, well, if you don't know how to fix it or you can't afford to fix it or you don't have the time to fix it, maybe it wouldn't be wise to buy it in the first place. Remember, the Proverbs are an appeal of a dad to his son. Learn wisdom. And in this case, the difference between diligence and being the sluggard. It's the dad's words, not mine. <laughs> he also who is slack in his work, Proverbs 18.9, he also is slack in his work, is brother to him who destroys. Slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. Now you think about it. No one start with no one likes to be called a slacker. Um, that's, that's just not nice. But we don't, we don't like labels. But you think about it, at work and at home. If I go slack at home, my home is going to start to decay. Because, again, the case, that, that coat of paint you put on decays the minute it dries. Uh, everything you do. If I don't stay on my lawn and keep it mowed and trimmed, the weeds are going to take over. It's just where it's at. The world is fighting against me. If I'm slack in my work, I'm brother to him to destroy. And in my job, if I go slack, either somebody else picks up the slack, so now I'm dumping on them, or if not that, then the whole business itself starts to decay. And we've, we've seen that. And so the negligent hand of the sluggard. One more. Is this depressing? I hope not. But we've seen these things. And because we live in a fallen world, even we have been tempted with these things. The desire of the sluggard, Proverbs 21, 25 to 26, the desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. All day long he is craving, while the righteous gives and does not hold back. In this agrarian economy of the ancient world, this was literally true, that the desire of the sluggard puts him to death, because you don't work, you don't eat. You're going to have grain to to make your meal. You're going to have to do some work. If our main desire is leisure, we'll always suffer want. I have seen how to live well with very little uh, and and still have a, a fulfilled life in the economy we live in, the culture we live in. We think accumulation and stuff and opportunities, that's where the fulfilled life is, and it's just not true. That stuff uh, is all decaying. And, but the industrious person knows how to take the little they have and through hard work and a little bit of insight knows how to multiply it. I've seen it done, uh, and, and, and it can be done. So there's a dilemma. This is, uh, this is a dilemma for the, for the sluggard. Go to the ant, Proverbs 6, 6 to 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. This uh, illustration of the ant, no commander, nobody saying, get out there and get some work done. That was my dad. <laughs> when I was a kid, my dad worked uh, every other Saturday. He'd work till noon. And uh, during the week, worked all week. Then we, uh, he was Darius at our church. And so when I was in the sixth grade, 
Tuesday night and Thursday night, me and my brothers were over at church cleaning church. Sunday morning, we were there early, early to unlock and the whole bit. So, you know, he made us work. The other thing he did when he'd leave on Saturday morning, he'd write a little note, leave it on the end of the table, list of chores. I'll be home at noon. These things need to be done. And it wasn't a suggestion. <laughs> It's work. But what he did do is he made us work, but he had a way then of making work fun. And I have to tell you, with my dad and my brothers, most of the fun things we've done have been working on projects together. Whether it's helping my brother just uh, last fall put a, a carport on the side of his garage, or whether whether it's, you know, who knows what. Uh, it's working together, but that was a, a, an attitude toward work that was instilled by our dad and his attitude toward work. The, so not needing the prodding, the like the ants, that you see the work and you get it done. And not just because I like the work, but it needs to be done. When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to the rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond. And so we see a warning. Your commitment to leisure and rest is going to bring you to poverty. Notice it's not don't rest. We'll get there at the end. It's not don't rest, don't enjoy your leisure, please do. But don't make that the focus of your life. Then, here's how bad it can get. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. And as the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's weary of bringing it to his mouth again. The slugger is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. Emergency, emergency. This is the person who invents excuses for why I don't have to work. You know, and why I wasn't at work yesterday, and you know, this and that happened, but you know, we've got a hundred people working here, and you seem to be the one who always has excuses why you can't work. And why can't everybody else? And it's not that there aren't real things that happen in life, but the sluggard see is inventing ways because I don't like to work. And so I'll invent ways and excuses for why I don't need to work today. That's what he's talking about. And so as the door turns on its hinges, the sluggard, so does the sluggard on his bed. And this guy is so lazy that it's a big chore to bring my fork to my mouth. That's how lazy this person is. And yet, he's wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discerning answer. In other words, I got really, really good excuses. And uh, uh, you, can't, you, you can't defeat me in debate on why it's okay for me to be this way. So says the father to his son in the pursuit of wisdom regarding our work ethic. Be diligent with our hands. Do you see a man? There's a, there is a privileged position of diligence, you know. It's not, I say privileged position, that doesn't mean, you know, if I work hard I can be CEO. That might happen. But that, that's not, no. Some of the most privileged people work in some of the most lowly roles, but they know their role, they know their skill set, and they're good at what they do, and they work hard for the Lord. And do you see a man skilled in his work? He'll stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. And so there is a principle there that often, not always, we all have our stories, but often the person who excels in their work is in general the one who gets noticed. It just is. And yet we all can speak from some experience that, uh, but no, I've worked in this position for years. I don't even get a thank you, let alone noticed. To a degree, 
The the degree to which we will be recognized should be left to God's providential oversight. It has very little to do with how we are compensated. We we tend to want to think of our work in how I'm compensated. What's the benefits? How much do I get paid? Uh, You know, what about my vacation? Instead, we should be thinking in terms of uh, Colossians 3, 23 to 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. As for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. You have a manager who's totally a jerk, but he's your boss or she. And and that's the person you report to, and how do I be respectful to that person? And it just grates on you. It, we're right there. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. As we said earlier, that's the conduit for my paycheck. It's, it's why I get up in the morning when I'm dead tired. It's why I go to work. It's why I do what I do. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. So now I'm not trying to please my manager. I'm trying to, I'm trying to live a life that glorifies and honors Christ because he's my manager. Well, one more. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. A lazy man does not roast his prey, but the precious possession of a man is diligence. Diligence, diligent hands. This is not, I hope you're not hearing a a new chapter to the law. You know, like, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. But there are principles. Remember, our topic is wisdom. And the anatomy of wisdom and in terms of our hands and what we do with our hands to image the living God. God is uh, the one who modeled it for us. He'd spent six days doing the creation and on the seventh day he rested. And so we ought to image him in that and we do our work for him. And if we find ourselves constantly working and not regularly, regularly resting, we've gone off the other side of the road. If we fall into thinking that, you know, if I don't work seven days a week, the work isn't get done, going to get done, or things are going to fall apart, then that, uh, just like laziness is symptomatic of negligence of regarding God's command to cultivate and keep the earth, so refusing to take regular times for rest can be a de facto denial of God's providential provision in our life. In other words, if I don't work all the time, it's not going to get done, and it's all going to crash and burn. Well, who's the provider? It's not my labor. You know, I need to work hard. God's the one who's going to feed me. God says, take a day off. He says, worship, uh, fellowship, spend time with your family, rest, And image me. If we fall into thinking that we must work all the time or things will fall apart, we've fallen into denying God's promise to be our resting place and only supplier of our needs. It's the only place we have to rest is in the Lord God. We need time off regularly. Well, let's bring it to this. The chief end of man. What is the chief end? End of man. Westminster Shorter Catechism, Andy. (laughs) What is the chief end of man? Question number one. What is it? Yeah, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. 
That's why we are created. We're created and are created. And why we're saved in Christ is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Uh, in my work, in my leisure, in my joy, in my grief, I can enjoy the presence of the living God. That's the chief end of mankind. And so those who are made in the image of God, the entire focus of our life then should be to glorify God in all we do, everything. But particularly our topic today of our work, balanced with some rest, not addicted to leisure. So our hands should be calloused, at least figuratively. Our hands should be calloused, at least figuratively, if not literally, from laboring to image the creativity of our Creator who worked six days to make the earth that we have and what a job He's done. He's going to remake it too. Can't wait to see it when He does. And, and so the, we, we uh, work to do that, to image Him. Our hands should be hands of healing and kindness in relation to the people around us. And sometimes... All of us need more tender hands in how we treat one another, right? Um, hands of healing, and then our hands should be praying hands that are totally given to glorifying the only one who can bring true purpose to our lives, and that's Jesus Christ. That's bottom line, that's what this is all about. All about. When Jesus came to this earth and grew into manhood, he worked. We believe in his father's trade. And then he left that trade to spend three-ish years traveling and teaching and preaching. And he worked and he worked and he worked. And he did his ultimate work when he died on a cross. We're not saved by works. We're saved by his work. He died on a cross for us to take the penalty for our sin, the ultimate work, if you will. And then to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can be righteous with Him. Our work is to bring glory to the living God. Diligent hands. Be wise. Learn wisdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Your Word is challenging. Lord, You know this is one of the hardest words I've ever had to speak. Lord, uh, thank You that You have given us work to do in our life. And Lord, I pray that uh, we would, all of us, just take encouragement from this, that uh, we would continue to look for You for the health and the strength to do work. Lord, those among us who, who can only work a little or can't work at all, Lord, I, we pray that Your uh, care for them would be there, that we as a church would come alongside to assist where necessary. Lord, I pray that all of us in what we do would realize that everything we have, everything we do is ultimately yours. And we are stewards. And even of this gift of work, diligent hands to image the hand of the creator, taking what you have already made and then shaping it into things that are useful for one another. Lord, be glorified. That's what our prayer is in all of this. That's what we're asking in this wisdom. The wisdom of diligent hands is hands that glorify the Creator, even in lifted praise as we close now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.